church. Many of you know our story that we were a church plant from Bible Baptist Church in Westchester who had had a vision for many years to plant a church in Delaware County and actually uh, had planted a church in Delaware County uh, that lasted for a few years and then that church closed. Uh, And so that vision to start a church or to have a work in Delaware County because they had a lot of people coming from Delaware County all the way to Chester County to go to the church in Westchester. So they had that vision. They started these evangelistic Bible studies. And, one, and any, any member at Bible Baptist in Westchester could open their home to have, I think it was originally like a six-week course. And Miss Jim and Betsy Kerr opened their home uh, to have a Bible study. Henry Barfield, I believe, was the first one that came. Or was Leo? Was Leo the one? Okay, so Henry was the teacher, and God did some amazing things. People were getting saved, and all of a sudden, the leaders at Bible Baptist in Westchester saw what was God was doing at the Kerr's basement, and and took that desire that you know to have a church planning in up in uh, Delaware County, and they thought maybe this is the Lord wanting to start this church through this Bible study, and that's how our church was born, and we scheduled to have a first service. I think it was 1991 maybe, and then we ended up having to push it back or maybe early in 92. So we started the church. And uh, so we were part of, I was part of, Curtis were part of a church. It was about six to 800 people on a Sunday morning. And, um, and so when we started, uh, that, was, that was the church that I was experienced, you know, I had experience with. And so we had a lot of expectations. And even, even our church constitution was patterned after the one in Westchester, which was a large church. And I remember early on, we would say, we're, you know, we're taking their same constitution, which has like all kinds of committees and stuff. And, and I said, we're going to grow into it. Because it's such, the, the constitution is designed for a large church. And we never became that large church, at least not up to this point. And, and I've realized that, and this has been the biggest challenge for me, um, is there's, there's so many expectations. I had a zillion expectations. Uh, and a lot of people over the years, especially ones that come here from larger churches, because larger churches can meet a lot of needs that a smaller church can't. And it has taken growing pains for me to realize that. Uh, and I've had to learn some things that I want to share with you that I shared uh, in my pastor's report at our last quarterly business meeting two Wednesdays ago based upon 2 Corinthians chapter 10. So let's just jump right in. The title of the message today is Approved of God. And as I mentioned, Paul's theme, not just in this text, but in really all of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, he talks about the idea of boasting or what, what the phrase he uses, commending ourselves. And the whole scenario there is that Paul went into Corinth and preached the gospel. People got saved. A church got started. Uh, and, and then some false teachers followed Paul. They, were, they followed Paul in Galatia, and then they, they moved on. And when Paul went to Corinth, they followed him, and they... They began to undermine his work, and they began to uh, lift up themselves so that they could uh, build on what Paul had started. And 
They were those that were self-congratulatory, praising themselves, uh, boasting of themselves. And uh, because of that, many were enticed and led away from the ministry of the Apostle Paul to these false teachers. And so Paul really hits back on that. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, let me just read to you verses 12 and 13, and then verse 17 and 18. That's, those are the verses we're going to look at this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12, For we dare not make ourselves of the number, or compare ourselves with some that, here's the theme, commend themselves. That's what the false teachers were doing. But they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. The Greek word that's used there has the idea of they are unable to discern uh, what is right. In verse 13, but we will not boast. That's what he's talking about. Commending ourselves, boasting. He says, we will not boast of things without our measure. But according to the measure of the rule which God hath distributed to us, a measure to reach even unto you. And then up until verse uh, 17, he expounds that a little. And I'm going to briefly comment on what is he talking about there. And then we're going to jump right to the conclusion, which is verse 17 and 18. He that, but he that glorieth, he that boasteth, is the idea. That's what they're doing. When you boast, you're glorying. The, the word boast uh, has in, in the King James is tr- the same Greek word is translated at other places, rejoice or to glory. Same word. And that's what boasting is. Boasting is rejoicing in yourself. It's glorying. Uh, it is you know commending yourself. In fact, some other definitions of boast is it go, comes from a word which means loud noise of the vo- voice. That's what boasting is. It's loud noise of your voice. It's speaking big. It's proud or vainglorious speech. That's what Paul's talking about. And that's what he was faced with. He found himself uh, being in competition with people that were big talkers, that boasted and, and were comparing Paul unfavorably. Uh, you know, Paul, they, they undermined his motives. They undermined his ability to preach and speak. They undermined everything that he was doing. And they were... You know, they were self-congratulatory. They were part of the Mutual Admiration Society, if you've ever heard of that a phrase that's used today. They were, again, just, you know, there was an old Latin word that would be used in light of what Paul's talking about here, which is translated, lovers of themselves without a rival. And so these people that came in, they were big talkers. They were, they, they boasted and... They influenced the people that Paul was ministering to. So three things we're going to look at from this text. First of all, judging a ministry. Paul says we dare not. We're not going to get caught up in that game. And then secondly, uh, we are going to look at judging righteously. That's verse 13. We will boast of things. We will not boast of things without our measure. And then uh, the judge is judging, the bottom line. You know, it really doesn't matter. Don't forget this. It really doesn't matter what other people think and what other people say. 
But man, it, it affects us. It affects us. It cannot help, help but to affect us. But we want to keep our priority on really, there's only one person that, that we want to please. There's only one person that we want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And that's our Savior. That's why we're here. So judging a ministry, look at verse 12 again. Paul says, for we dare not. And then the next five English words come from one Greek word. Little, the root word means to insert. We dare not make ourselves of the number. What's that mean? The term that's used again has the idea of to rank or to classify. When Paul says we, don't, we dare not make ourselves of the number, he's saying, you know, we don't, we don't rank and classify ourselves, and then he goes on, or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves. It's exactly what the false teachers were doing. Again, they were praising one another, boasting of the things, uh, how good they were. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs, most men will proclaim everyone their own, his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. Paul was a faithful man. And he was put up against this self-congratulatory boasting, uh, comparing themselves with themselves, and, um, and, and that's what he was up against. And so he is really talking about these false teachers. By the way, it's been a theme throughout the Scriptures in, in 2 Corinthians, throughout this, this epistle. Listen to what he says in the, some of the previous verses. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 1. He says, do we begin again to commend ourselves? Or need we, as some others, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? Paul's like, what do we need? Do we need uh, character references all of a sudden? Now understand, Paul's the one that went into this city with the gospel first and people got saved. He's the one that started that church and... So, you know, he was their spiritual father, and all of a sudden now, he's feeling like he's now under the pressure because he's being compared unfavorably with these, these people that are coming in with a splash. Wow, we've got something exciting. We've got something better than Paul. And Paul's like, what, do we need letters of recommendation from you? Then in chapter 4, 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 2. Paul says, we've renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. That's what the false teachers were doing. He said, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. So our boasting is just simply us. We are, you are living epistles. You are Really, our letter of recommendation, he would say, and we're just appealing to the conscience, and we're leaving that stuff up to God. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse 12, he, he continues with that theme. For we commend not ourselves again to you. He just keeps talking about commending ourselves, commending ourselves, boasting, praising, congratulating ourselves. We commend not ourselves again to you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf that you may have somewhat to answer them, which glory in appearance and not in heart. So you sense this, this pressure, which folks has continued to this day. It is just common, human, worldly 
it's just natural to compare. And as a ministry, uh, it is so easy to be compared with uh, other larger ministries. And, and oftentimes, that becomes a pressure that can lead people uh, to feel like they have to out-credential someone else. I've shared stories in the past of a guy by the name of Eric Hara who uh, claimed to be an abortion doctor uh, at an abortion clinic in Penn State University years ago. And um, and ends up he was just a security guard, but he claims to be an abortion some in the medical community that got saved, became born again. And uh, he had a very dramatic testimony, and he had a, he had a he had an ability to really spin the story. And when, when churches, the evangelical fundamental churches, got wind of it, uh, they began to... He wasn't even saved a year if he was saved, and they began to have him come to their churches and speak. James Dobson got heard about him, and he, he was on the radio, and this guy became this big thing. And it ends up, it was all a sham. And he ended up taking churches for a ride. With uh, you know getting advanced money for tickets and and one pastor sadly this tells you the mentality one pastor says I don't care if he was a fraud when he came we never had an offering as big as we did when he was there it's like what where is your where are you at then another guy I won't mention his name although I just mentioned Eric um, another guy got caught up in in uh, you know he, he I guess somehow he claimed he was part of a gang. Then he got saved, said he did prison time, and now he was a, you know, now he worked for the FBI, and he really got some mileage for that. It's gonna, uh, he was announced after many years, he's going to be a speaker at one of a fundamental Bible Baptist believing seminar uh, conference. He's going to be the main speaker, and he was doing a couple sessions as an FBI agent, and uh, apparently F- FBI got wind of it, and they came, and um, you know, they they went up to talk to him after, and said, so tell me about your, you know, what class and all that. And, and, and then they, apparently they walked him away in handcuffs. But there's this, there's this emphasis that we've got, you know, keeping up with the Joneses in ministry. And it's a real pressure. And Paul faced this. And uh, again, they were, um, the fact that they were, again, they were marking themselves or they were ranking themselves or, classifying themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, that clearly demonstrated that they were not wise. And Paul um, clearly would, would talk about that. In fact, he, in the next few verses, when he talks about, um, you know, um, verse 13, we will not boast of things without our measure, but according to the measure of the rule which God hath distributed to us, a measure to reach even unto you, then he goes on, um, very clearly, there was uh, an agreement that Paul had made. Paul and Barnabas were going to be the apostles, you know, and then John and Peter and another one were going to be, uh, so you had two groups. Now the gospel's brand new, they're going out to spread the gospel, and Paul and Barnabas were going to be the apostles to the Gentiles, then the other, or it might be the other way around. Then the other ones were going to be the apostles to the Jews. And so he's talking specifically about that. I'll give you the verse in a few minutes. But here's the bottom line. The bottom line is that our challenge as a church 
is not to compare ourselves with Bible Baptists in Westchester or any other church. Because God has called us to a unique ministry. You know, there's pastors, folks, and churches that are just trying. In fact, I was sharing on, on two weeks ago, a f- one pastor that I know that's a friend of mine, is um, he's on the board of a, of a Bible college and a, universe, a seminary. And he shared, he, he shared this sad report. He says, there's a big emphasis in the few solid Bible colleges that are left. Uh, there's this, this idea that young people that are training for ministry, they only want to go to a big church. They want to start out in a big church. And it's like that's, that affirms them. And they will not go. There's, there's just this major reluctance to go to a church where it's small. And, and it's just it's heartbreaking. In fact, there's a, I was not at Butler a couple of weeks ago. The PRBC had a conference, and it's a really good resolutions. And there's one there on, on the, you know, pastoral ministry is in crisis. It really is. There's so many churches that are looking for just sound men. Uh, they're small, smaller churches, and we'll talk about that at the end. Uh, but the challenge is, what has God called us to do? Bible Baptist Church is not in Upper Darby is not a stepping stone for a pastor to make his way up to a bigger ministry. Uh, and believe me, when we first started, uh, people come along and, and people that come from bigger churches, because bigger churches can do more. And they put that pressure on us. And, us, and for many years, I'm thinking, I was trying to be all things to all people. Uh, and yet I think back, when, we, when I was part of Bible Baptist in Westchester, with six to 800 people coming, they had a lot of ministries that we could never have. And they were still getting criticized because they didn't have a ministry for this or that or that. It is an endless cycle. And the challenge is, we need to find out what does God want us to do. And I'm going to share with you a quote. That has saved my ministry. I'm convinced of it. Pastor Kelly Sensenig is a pastor in Effort of Pennsylvania. Precious, precious man. And I love him dearly. And years ago, he wrote an article about missions. And there was a statement in there, a paragraph, that I'm going to read to you. The first time I read it, it didn't jump out at me. But I have, in my mind, I've gone back to that time and time again. Because I've, 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 there's, a, there's a battle going on. In every ministry, you, and I'll share this more, but you want, you want to grow. You want to expand your, your ministry. And yet at the same time, you want to be content with where God has you. And Kelly Sensenig, Pastor Sensenig, made a statement that I have drawn on many times. And it's caused me to settle down, to... Not get part of this jumboism. I'll share what I mean by that in a little bit. And just be content with what God has called me to do. You know, just to, just to, just for God to do this work here. Uh, there's been so much labor. I think of the Kurs opening up their home, and you know how many things, food items Betsy prepared that were investment in this ministry, um, and just just the people that have labored. Uh, just the pioneer spirit. You don't start a church today without a pioneer spirit. Again, some people want insta-made church. You know, they want it to be large immediately. And they're not willing to roll up their sleeves and, and do the work for 
And the majority of the, the Bible-believing churches in America are smaller churches. Again, I'll share with that in a minute. But I remember a guy, when was first, we first started the church here, the Lord first started the church, found out that we were planning, and he got hold of me. He wanted to meet with me. He was a church planting specialist. And we had a couple guys. I remember one guy named Grant, Grant Rice, Grant Davies, that did help, was a big blessing. But this is a different guy. And he, he built himself as a church planting expert, uh, helping churches plant all across America. Now, this church was planted by the Lord through the efforts of Bible Baptist Church in Westchester and the leadership there. And all the, 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 the members there, they invested, that it was their blood, sweat, and tears that started this church. And this guy met with me. He had some grand ideas, but I just got the idea that he was pushing himself on me. You know what I mean? Like he, he had these ideas and he thought highly of himself. And maybe it was good stuff he was giving me, but I just felt like, well, this guy's really pushing himself on me. And he would call me a few times after. And then, then I started getting his prayer letters. And I started seeing that we were one of the churches that he was, he was in his prayer letters, he was writing that we're helping this church in, in, in Upper Darby. And, you know, we're really like, it, it was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're not, you, you met with me for lunch. And they're trying to take the credit for it. Um, and, and I think this was what Paul was facing in a very unique way. Paul had gone into Corinth, gone to the churches in Galatia, and through his labor by God through the Spirit, churches were planted, and now these other people were coming in and, and, and going into his territory, as it were. David Livingston, you ever heard of him? Missionary to Africa. In one of his biographies, the writer says this, that David Livingston would not be drawn into that subtle snare of the tempter, the desire to make a good report for the edification of the church at home. He did not strive for nominal adherence. And then I'm going to quote what he wrote. See, there's a pressure for missionaries in just every church. to, to If you're going to have prayer letters and send out letters, you always want to make it look good. You want, you want the people that are at home supporting you to think, man, our money's really going, you know, we're really making, look at all the converts this guy's making. And here's what David Livingston said. He said, nothing will induce me to form an impure church. Fifty added to the church sounds fine at home, but if only five of these are genuine, what will it profit in the great day? Oh, I love that. That's the bottom line. There's something that sounds good to the people at home. Oh, we're leading all these people to Christ. But if in the end there's only five that get saved, and he said, what will it profit in the great day? That's the bottom line. Not how big and how quickly can we make this church grow so that we're the fastest growing church in Pennsylvania. No, it's... What can we do to serve Christ so that we will hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant? And then there's an article I read. In fact, I'm going to read part of it. It's a long article. I put it in the back many years ago and several times. The article's called Jumboism. Jumboism. I like that. Um, Jumboism. And the, the writer says, If pastors want to pursue a stronger biblical course for their churches, they must stop measuring by numbers whether Sunday school or membership or special meetings or offerings or missionaries supported. And that's important to realize. When I quote Pastor Kelly Sensenig, that's, 
important to keep in, in mind. Such a test, measuring by numbers, isn't found in Scripture. It is a man-made invention, and the fruit has been terrible. In truth, numbers means nothing in relation to the true spiritual condition of a church. And to focus on numbers can only puff up. We've not struggled with that. We've not struggled with that end. That's the bigger churches. Or discourage. That's what, that's what I, you know, smaller churches struggle with that. When you're compared to another church that has all these different ministries and can do all these different things. And then he gives an example of a pastor, one of our, you know, in, in fundamental Baptist circles, who began pastoring his church in 1942. When he first started pastoring this church, the membership was a thousand. So many people they had on the books. And they had a Sunday morning attendance of 400. And the midweek service attendance was about 10, 10 people, <laughs> which is typical. When this man retired in 1982, so he was there for 40 years, membership was reported to have been more than 60,000. The huge membership numbers listed because of that, this church was listed at one time as the world's largest church. And um, since the vast majority of those numbers were not active, what did it mean? And by the way, the church no longer exists. It didn't even survive one generation beyond this famous pastor that was there. And then the writer of this article, Jumboism, he says, by the test of numbers, the increase with goods, that's what is said about Laodicea, was preeminent over the little strength of the church in Philadelphia. But we know that this was not true in Christ's eyes. In other words, the church in Laodicea had a name that thou livest. They had a reputation, and they're dead. And then the church in Philadelphia had little strength. So if we judge it by numbers, we'd say, Laodicea, man, that's a church on fire. Philadelphia, dying church. And Jesus had a totally opposite picture of that. And then he says this, and this is the... This is the you know, in Philippians chapter 1, Paul says, I'm in a straight betwixt two. I'm, in a, I'm, I'm stuck. I'm, I'm, I'm in a fix. Having desire, the desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, and to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And, and I feel like, you know, every pastor, I think, struggles with this. There's the, the struggle to grow your church, expand your tent pegs, to use an Old Testament phrase, you know, expand your borders, and verses the challenge to be satisfied where you're at. And that's where Pastor Kelly Sensen comes in in a minute. But this article goes on. He says, let me hasten to say, this is in the article Jumboism, we don't have a goal to make small churches. <laughs> the goal is to make churches pure. And a pure church has power with God. It will grow because God is the God of fruit, but it will grow properly in God's will and God's way and God's time not by human methodology or pragmatism. Uh, that, I love, thank you all for amening, because that encourages my heart. So let's go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, um, and verse 13 now. So first we saw judging a ministry, now we see judging righteously. Paul says again, We will not boast of things without our measure, but according to the measure of the rule which God hath distributed to us, a measure to reach even unto you. And he goes on expounding that. Now in Galatians,
Listen to what he said in Galatians 2 and verse 9. Paul says, And when James, Cephas, that's Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship, that we should go unto the heathen. So Paul and Barnabas were the apostles to the uncircumcised. And they unto the circumcision. So James and Peter and John were the apostles to the Jews, the circumcision. That's Galatians 2.9. Now, that's what Paul's talking about when you read here in verses 13, 14, and 15, and 16 about going in and, and all. He was he's comparing himself. See, Paul went in. He's the first one to bring the gospel to these places, and, and people got saved and churches got established. And, and humanly, it was his labor, Barnabas's labor, and then these false teachers started coming in and, in a sense, encroaching on their territory. Now, today it's different. You know, we're, we're not, we are not the ones, you know, plowing up new ground in Upper Darby. Uh, I appreciate, I, you're, in fact, in a couple weeks, uh, my family and I are going to be at a wedding, and uh, Pastor Ted Long is going to be preaching one Sunday night. And I appreciate that, man. I want to tell you what Ted Long did. He he started a church in Upper Darby uh, on Long Lane called Grace Independent Baptist Church. It's now pastored by Pastor Joe Perimba, another precious guy. But back in 1998, I got a phone call from Ted Long. We started our church in 1992. And he called me to ask permission if I would have a problem with him planning a church in Upper Darby. Now, I am not the bishop of Upper Darby, okay? I am a bishop in Upper Darby. I am not, this is not my territory. This is not our territory. And, and he did not need to do that at all. But God bless him for his heart. You know, he just, he just, he wanted to do the honorable thing. He knew we were planning a church here. And my comment to him then was, Brother Ted, we need 20 more churches in Upper Darby. <laughs> you know, there's, there's such a need. But God bless him for that. You know, there is a real dearth of pastoral ethics in ministry today. And uh, so Ted will always have a special place in my heart uh, because of that. That was such a blessing. But again, you know, we, it's totally different. The situation that Paul faced himself and what he's talking about in 2 Corinthians 10, these in-between verses here, is, is not perfectly applied to us today. Um, but here's the challenge, though, as Paul says in verse 13. We will not boast of things without our measure, but according to the measure of the rule which God hath distributed to us, a measure to reach even unto you. God has called us to a ministry that is totally his doing. He's the one that will determine how big or how small it is, when it'll grow, when it'll expand, when we'll lengthen the tent pegs. And by the way, that's a... Old Testament reference to Israel through Jeremiah and Isaiah. Uh, they, were, he would, they were preparing Israel for ex, you know, expanding the, the space. Uh, <laughs> in other words, God was going to bless and make of them a great nation. And then there's, there may also be an inference there of how the Gentiles would be included in the, you know, down the road. So they had to kind of make room in their hearts. And it's a whole different challenge there. So we've wrestled, I've wrestled with the idea of uh, 
expectations. There's a verse I love, Psalm 81.10. I use this a lot. The Lord said to Israel, I am the Lord thy God, which I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. Open thy mouth wide and I will fill it. Now, you know what I think that's a picture of is you ever see a bird's nest with little baby birds? And when when the mom is like coming near, flying, they, they all open their mouths at once. Why? They're expecting food. And the mom comes with her squishy worms and puts them in their, in their mouth, you know, and they apparently love it. But the, the idea of the open mouth is expecting God to bless. And he wants us to do that. There's a place for that. And so now I bring you to Kelly Sensenig's words. Because then there's also the challenge of, and this is where I struggled over the years, of, of learning to be content. Listen to what Kelly said. Pastor Sensenig. By the way, if you haven't been to the men's conference, Pastor Sensenig is one of the often used speakers, also plays a mean trumpet, and uh, just a precious guy. He, when we started church, when, no, when, when I pastored up in Lancaster, he had already started uh, Berean Bible Church, I think it was, still there, a beautiful church building, just a precious man, faithfully sticking by the stuff standing for the word of God. You pray for Pastor Kelly Sensenig and his dear congregation. Here's what he wrote that has helped me immensely. He's talking about missions and your church giving to missions. And he said this, We must also remember that a smaller church or any individual church cannot win the entire world. Oh, really? Likewise, One church alone cannot disciple every new convert. We must learn. This is what hit me like a ton of bricks. We must learn to be satisfied to a certain extent about the mission programs we do support and the outreach we do have through these mission programs and our verbal witness. We must also be on guard concerning the success syndrome of numbers and bigness. And the notion that constant activity is a sign of spirituality within a church. True spirituality is seen in the manifested fruit of the Spirit within people's lives and their willingness to discern truth from error. Sometimes we must be satisfied with how God is blessing and using the ministries, outreach ministries we have. We can only expand our horizons as God directs and supplies the necessary means. There's the understatement of the century that I did not know at first. (laughs) We can only expand our horizons as God directs and supplies the necessary means. Over the years, there have been countless people, especially ones that come from bigger churches, that have had the wisdom of being part of a bigger church like I did when we started this church, and have given us the insight, and, and I've heard this multitudes of times, you know what this church needs? It needs to have, here's this ministry. And I'm like, okay, all right, I'll do it. And it finally dawned on me, wait a minute, as Pastor Sensenig said, to a certain extent, we have to, we can only expand our horizons as God directs and supplies the necessary means. And I have had to realize that's where God's challenging us and me. You know, there's going to be things we can't do. And there's, let me close with this. And this, um, in fact, I got to go to verse 17 and 18 because that's the end. That's my last point. So let me jump on it and then share with this with you. 2 Corinthians 10, 17. Now we're talking about praising ourselves, boasting, commending ourselves. Paul says, but 
He that glorieth, he that commends something, he that boasts, let him glory in the Lord. For not he that commendeth himself is approved. You know, when you, most men will proclaim everyone their own goodness, people that are part of the self-admiration society that just praise themselves, that's not who is going to be approved. Not he that commendeth himself is approved, but whom the Lord commendeth. Wow. And this is a theme that Paul is hammering home to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians one twenty nine that no flesh should glory in his presence. 1 Corinthians one thirty one he that glorieth, let him glory, boast in the Lord. 1 Corinthians 3.21, therefore let no man glory in men. 2 Corinthians 5.12, we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf, that you may have somewhat to answer them that glory in appearance and not in heart. So folks, glorying, self-boasting, has no place in the ministry. And comparing ourselves, either favorably or unfavorably, with other ministries is not wise. It is a lack of discernment. I have a dear pastor friend of mine from Philadelphia, and his name is Pastor Deer. I'm Pastor Lyon. He's Pastor Deer. Uh, many of you know Tom Wolf, who used to be a pastor, Pastor Wolf. I know a pastor uh, that I pray for named Dennis Fox in Williamsburg, Virginia. So we've got Pastor Fox, Pastor Lion, Pastor Wolf, and Pastor Deer. And uh, interesting, we've never all been together at one pastor's conference. But if we do, I'm going to make sure we get a picture of that. So we have the wolf, the lion, the bear. No, no bear. Uh, Whatever, we have that. Anyway, Pastor Deer once said this. This is profound. And he's had to wrestle with this too. His dad... His dad pastored Crescentville Baptist Church for 50 years. And that's just amazing. And he's been pastoring. He's getting close to that. But he said this. We're talking about another pastor, a like-minded pastor, I think, who was constantly um, comparing himself and striving to be like a a certain megachurch. Pastor Deere said this. He said, you can learn a lot about a man by who he views as a competition. Of course, he was talking about this pastor uh, of a larger church who saw himself in light of a mega church, striving to become bigger. Bigger is better, everyone tells us. He said, you know, you can tell, you can learn a lot about a man by who he views as the competition. That's the point, Paul's point. There's no competition. It's a matter of faithfulness. We're not comparing ourselves with someone else. That is the worst thing that we could do. And now, there was a study done, uh, and I believe it's an ongoing study, but it's the National Congregation Study. And the last time I read the information, the median church, the median church in the United States has 75 regular participants in worship on Sunday mornings, according to the National Congregation Study. Yet... In the United States, the United States has a large number of small churches. But in spite of this, most people attend larger churches. In other words, they estimated that the smaller churches draw only about 11% of those who attend worship. Whereas 50% of churchgoers attended the largest 10% of the congregations. In other words, 350 members or attenders or more. So in other words, the majority of churches, Bible-believing churches in America, are smaller churches, 75 or so, 
Yet most people will go to larger churches. Why is that? Because larger churches, because there's more laborers, offer more. It's, it's, just, it's just the nature of things. We don't have a ministry to this or a ministry to that. And it's so easy for people. The, over the 30 years we've been here, we have so many times been judged unfavorably by someone else's past church experience because they came from a, a bigger church that had more programs and, and more things to offer. And for so long, you know, I've seen ourselves and I've judged ourselves as, wow, we, we fail. No, we don't fail unless you're, you know, putting yourselves, making yourselves of the number and ranking yourselves with others. That's not wise. When I got saved many years ago, I attended a church that had 2,500 families on the membership rolls. And then I got saved, and we, we looked for a, another church, and we ended up going to a church that had 20, 20 to 25 families. Then we ended up going to the church, which planted this church, Bible Baptist, that had 189 families. So, you know, we went from, I went from a church from 2,500 families eventually to a church of 189 families, and now I pastor a church of 35 to 40 families. So, well, can't do everything we did at Bible Baptist. Certainly can't have all the programs that the church I grew up in had, but we preach a different message than them. And I don't apologize for that for one minute. But I want to challenge you that, and I want to remind you that, and I, the Bible says, let every man wherein he is called therein abide with God. That's the verse that's, that's had to come straight home, uh, 1 Corinthians 7, I believe it is, and, and that whole theme there. As pa- Pastor Kelly Sensenig says, to a certain degree, we need to be, learn to be content with what God has given to us and the resources he's given us. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to focus on being faithful. Not to measure up to another church, and this church may have this ministry, this church may be able to do this that we can't do right now. And God will bless, God will expand our horizons. And again, Pastor, in fact, I don't think I said this. Pastor Sensenig also said, and, I, and this is what I'll close with I promise you, I promise you, I promise you. Pastor Sensenig says at the end of this message about, you know, not measuring up and uh, we can only expand our horizons as God directs and supplies the necessary means. He said, on the other hand, this is the, on the other hand, our aim should be to continually enlarge our coasts or our outreach ministries. This means we should continually have vision to expand our missions program and verbal witness along with our next page, along with our discipleship of people. And so, Pray with me as we seek that balance of striving to grow our church and expand and yet being content with what God has supplied us. We can only do what we can do. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the privilege of pastoring these folks uh, who are not a stepping stone, Father. These are precious souls for whom Christ died. And Father, we don't apologize for being... Um, one of the multitudes of smaller churches. We know that's not what's going to grant your approval. We may not have a name that we live, like the church in Laodicea, Father, but 
We desperately want to hear, well done thou, good and faithful servant. So, Lord, help us to, to, to preoccupy ourselves with pleasing you. And we'll thank you for it. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.